if Virginia State head coach Henry Frazier had his way, his team's quote-unquote rivalry with Norfolk State would come to an end in 2023. I don't think I necessarily disagree. Oh, yeah, it's Locked On HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked On HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On family, welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU podcast. Your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day, and I, of course, am Darian Gray, aka the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor and current contributing writer at USA Today's Saints. Wire, I appreciate you for making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day. But remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Starts with an S, ends with an S. Today's episode starts with a word from our sponsors, LinkedIn Jobs. Now, these days, every new potential hire can feel like a gamble. And that's why you go to LinkedIn Jobs to help you find the right people faster. Just go to go to LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege. Terms and conditions do apply. And we'll hear a little bit more about them later in the episode. Today's episode will wrap up with a double feature of preseason recaps. One is Emmanuel Wilson, the first-year player out of Fort Valley State, now with the Green Bay Packers. And the other is Marcus Bell, the second-year player out of Florida A&M. Now with the Dallas Cowboys, but we'll kick it off with a little bit of current college news. And it's not even a player. It's a coach making the headlines. And that's Henry Frazier because Henry Frazier, the third, might I say, because he is not a fan of the quote unquote rivalry that is Norfolk State versus Virginia State. And I'm kind of right there with him. The interesting thing about him saying that, however, is that he is the head coach of Virginia State. So it's a little bit closer to home. It's been a while since VSU and NSU have faced off in their Labor Day Classic. It's been a nice little hiatus. However, if you ask Henry Frazier III, he will tell you it's time for another hiatus and probably a permanent hiatus as long as he's the head coach of Virginia State. I'm not saying that I'd end it, right? I'm not saying that only because I understand the significance of it to the state of Virginia, to Virginia State, to to Norfolk State. I get that. But I'm right there with Frazier in terms of how much I like it. We're both relatively low on the satisfaction scale when it comes to this quote-unquote rivalry. And we'll see why I call it quote-unquote every time. But I think what it comes down to is frame of reference. His frame of reference is different. My frame of reference is different than everybody in the state and the people who went to those two schools. It's completely different. you know. So here goes the quote that Frazier said. He said, and I quote, I saw that game from afar years ago when I was at other conferences or even at other schools. And I didn't realize how big that game was in terms of Virginia State and Norfolk State in the state of Virginia. It's a huge game. It's a game I don't necessarily want to be a part of. Ooh, that quote right there says a lot. It gives you his frame of reference. 
It gives you what he has now seen, a now or a new realization, and then it also tells you exactly how he feels about it. So sometimes if he just says, it's a game I don't really want to be a part of, someone was going to come in and say, you don't understand how important that this is to the state. You don't understand how important this robbery is to each school. He's covered that basis. He's also told you the frame of reference of, hey, from out here, I don't view, or I've been out here so long, so I view this a different way. And when I say out here, I mean on the outside looking in, not within the bubble of Virginia State or Norfolk State. So I've been looking at this from all the way over here, and let's just say North Carolina, right? Just throwing a state out there. I've been looking at this from North Carolina. This don't look like that big a deal, but now I'm in Virginia. I see they love this. But even though you love it this much, I still am not a fan of having this happen and I think once you acknowledge the importance, once you acknowledge the significance, I feel like your opinion should now be taken extremely valid and be heard all the way out because I've acknowledged what this game means to you. So I'm not ignorant of that fact. I just still don't like it. And let me tell you why he doesn't like it, because I'm right there with him. He says it's because you got Division One, you know, 10 full-time coaches, 63 scholarships playing against us. We can't compete or we excuse me, we can't come nowhere close to those numbers. And no one cares about that because it's a robbery. And it's hard for me to fathom it being a robbery when the cards are stacked against us. And I'll be honest with you. This is me now. D2 versus D1 doesn't feel like a robbery. That just does not fit for me. And I know there are multiple D1, D2 robberies around the HBCU landscape. And they don't feel like robberies to me. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest because is it a tradition? Yes. Do you play this continuously? Yes. I I respect that fully. No questions. It's a tradition. But rivalry doesn't quite feel like an accurate term, especially when the records aren't really close. Look, you look at the resources and it's a legitimate gap. There are levels to this. And when we say levels, it's literally a level between them. Division one. Division two, FCS, D2. It is a difference. And I don't think that's disrespectful. It's just simply a different level, different resources, and then just a different distinction. We're quick to say that rivalries are devalued because of how lopsided a record is. I think a, I think a rivalry becomes devalued when one team goes to the Division two ranks or one team goes to the Division one ranks because Norfolk State decided to leave the CIAA and now they went up, and now they're in the MEAC. But now you get certain perks. So, yes, it was a rivalry when they were both in the conference together, but now they're not. So, to me, it's not. Now it's tradition. I just thought, to me, this is this can't be a rivalry. I don't want to say this can't be a rivalry, but by my definitions of a rivalry, it doesn't fit. So I'm with him. I'm with Coach Frazier, and I don't know if he has any sort of pull to be able to say, I don't want this to happen. I don't know if he has that. But I'll put it this way. Rivalries are games that I get excited for and I anticipate. And I understand that each school has different things and the size of the rivalry is different. But a D1 versus a D2 school, we don't have that in Texas. We don't have that in Louisiana. Those are my frames of reference. Those are my states that before I even went into school, I would pay attention to. Right? I was watching Grambling. Before I even went there, I went to Texas, or excuse me, before I even went to Texas Southern, right? And then when I got to Texas Southern, we don't have, we don't, that's not a thing. We go against PV. 
you know, like it's different for me. I can't, I can't fathom it. I can't understand the idea. Maybe if I grew up in Alabama, I would have a different conversation, right? Because then you got to ski. Like it's a, it's a different conversation when you don't have anything to really reflect to and say, oh, that looks familiar to what we have here or what I grew up with. Because to me, a D1 versus a D2 school playing consistently is just not something that I'm going to be excited about. This doesn't get me going. Maybe if I was in the state of Virginia. And you know what? The frame of reference to bring it all the way home, possibly after Coach Frazier III's first game coaching in this. Being in this Labor Day Classic, he'll feel the energy, he'll feel the significance, and maybe it will, it will be contagious. But until then, we're aligned. Not really a fan of this game. But moving forward, I was a huge fan of Emmanuel Wilson's game. He only had six carries, but he made the most of those six carries. And I break down four of his best carries. I know that's two-thirds of it, but we're going to break down why this was so important and so impressive as we continue with Locked On HBCU. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. And LinkedIn Jobs is a number one tool for any small business owner. I don't care who you are. I don't care what business that you represent. You need to go to LinkedIn Jobs to make sure that you are getting qualified candidates. The best part about LinkedIn Jobs is it cuts out the, mid the middleman. No more people reaching out to you. If you want the best pick of your options, you need to shoot your shot. You need to be the one being selective and being on LinkedIn jobs allows you to be selective because you can go and look at these people's resume. They don't have to send them to you. You can view them. Go to LinkedInJobs.com because excuse me, LinkedIn.com slash locked on college. Post your job for free. F-R-E-E. -E, don't cost a dime. Nothing out of your pocket. You just go to that website. LinkedIn.com slash locked on college. Post your job for free with the purple hashtag hiring frame and take advantage of the 800 million people who are on LinkedIn and still growing. It's just that simple. LinkedIn.com slash locked on college. As we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day. Every day, every day is tomorrow's episode. We will discuss Mississippi Valley State because they are moving into a new era. It is bigger than just a new football coach. So we'll get into that on tomorrow's episode. But right now we have a former HBCU athlete, alumni. He's an alumni now. But Emmanuel Wilson took full advantage of his preseason debut. And he's putting himself in a position to make the Green Bay roster. He is. And I got to make sure I reach out to my guy, Peter Bukowski, about this just to make sure that I'm not using too much hyperbole. I want to make sure that I'm not jumping out the window when I say this. But I think from the things that I've been able to read. That Wilson is putting his name into the hat as being in that running back three competition for certain. And we'll get into his position a little bit later. Um, but right now, I wasn't even watching the Green Bay preseason game it's a lot of preseason games going on but i wasn't really watching it but i'll tell you what i was able to see emmanuel wilson on my timeline said man another touchdown he had two touchdowns and what made this special is that he was playing on the anniversary of his father passing away so because of that it's kind of like those two were those two touchdowns 
were dedicated to him. Even Aaron Jones, the starting running back for Green Bay, walked up to him after the first one and said, this one's for your dad. And Aaron Jones plays with, I believe it's his father, but somebody who passed away, their ashes around his neck. So he understands what it means to play for a loss, you know? But when you look at Emmanuel Wilson, I think that his anniversary made this special, but then also the fact that he was a running back four guy before, practice squad guy. You know, you're not really keeping four running backs. What he was able to do right here, he has six carries, 111 yards. His first touchdown, I think both of the touchdowns sold a little bit of skill, but his first touchdown was a little bit more simplistic of a run, but I did think he showed good footwork, a nice little bit of patience to be able to elude a block that was kind of venturing into the backfield. And once he saw the hole, it was just a little hesitation, seeing the hole run, right? But that second touchdown run, the 80-yard touchdown run, that was the play where he, gosh, I wish I had visual demonstration, but I don't have the clip for real. So it was him and a defender in the backfield. I'm trying to show you on video, but I can tell that that doesn't work. So audio listeners, you're not losing anything. You're just going to hear this the same way that they're going to hear it. They just get to see my face when I do it. But it was a Green Bay or, excuse me, a Cincinnati Bengal defender, and it was Emmanuel Wilson in the hole, right? And he kind of drew him into the hole and then cut outside of the tight end who was the only other blocker to the right of Wilson. So once that defender came into the hole, well, he boop, popped outside. Now it's to the races. You have another defender, angle, right past him. Now it's just a, 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 a race. Now it's just you have this angle. I outrun your angle. Are you now fast enough to catch me? No, you're not. 80 yards to the house, touchdown. That's what it was. Meet defender in the hole. Jump cut outside. Now that defender can't get around the block fast enough, but you can. Another defender has an angle. You beat that angle, which shows extreme speed, and now it's to the house, 80-yard touchdown. And that's the one that was probably the most impressive because it showed his long speed. But he had multiple multiple uh, runs where he eluded tackles. Right there, you eluded two tackles. You're only going to get credited for one broken tackle. But when he was able to bring that defender into the gap and then jump out, that was an eluded tackle. I don't even know if that's a stat. I made that up. Eluded tackle. <laughs> it's just the next level of, of, of missed tackle percentage, right? Or forced missed tackles. How about eluded tackles? It'd be a little bit sketchy because, like, when do we say he eluded? But there was other ones where he outran guys to the edge. There was one run in particular because the one where he outran somebody to the edge was taken back by holding but that doesn't really matter because it's preseason. And in the situation he's in, he's here to make sure that he puts his best foot forward. And that play was a good rep for him. And that's all that matters. This isn't even really about let the coaches be upset about holding for the other guy. But when evaluating that play, we're going to say that we like the speed that Emmanuel Wilson showed to get past that defender. But there was one where he ran directly up the gut, shot through the hole, broke two tackles. The guy runs hard. He runs hard, and I personally feel like, I personally feel like if he wasn't already in that running back three conversation, he put himself there. I'm not saying that he elevated himself away from the practice squad, but he firmly put himself in conversations of not having to go to the practice squad. So what I mean by that is that 
let's say that he was running back four or five because there's two people who are competing for three. So let's say he wasn't in that conversation. At best, he was running back five. They are not keeping five running backs in Green Bay. You're not. So what you can do is show that you're good enough to be on the practice squad because they could just cut you. There's no guarantee they want to bring you back for the practice squad. That's your only real option as running back five is that you can go into the practice squad. But if you get into the conversation for running back three, they will keep three running backs. And now you have the conversation of being able to make the 53-man roster. And once you do that, it's extremely likely if you're in that conversation, at the worst, they're going to put you on the practice squad. At the absolute worst, as long as you clear waivers. But maybe you show that long speed. Somebody says, you know what? We're going to pick up that Emmanuel Wilson guy, and we're going to put him on our 53-man roster. So what that means is if you are cut and you're put on waivers, if they pick you up, I feel like, nope, that's not true. Practice squad. Cut everything I was about to say. I was about to say something that was not true, not correct. We're going to pass on that, and we're going to go ahead and go to Emmanuel, excuse me, go to Marquise Bell, because it's still a bummer that everybody passed on him in the 2022 NFL draft, but he's carving out a potential lane and possibly a starting job for the first couple of weeks from the Dallas Cowboys season or in the Dallas Cowboys season. We'll get into exactly what his situation is as we continue with Locked On HBCU. As we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day, every day, making it all the way to segment three. And I thank you two times for that. We've already broken down Emmanuel Wilson's strong debut. This was his first game as a Green Bay Packer, first game in the NFL, period, preseason or not, right? He just got to continue to string along these type of performances. I think that Marquise Bell has a little bit better of a situation than Wilson does in Dallas. However, Bell did shine as well in his first preseason game, his first preseason game of this year. He had some tackles. Um, How would I describe Marquise Bell's performance? The way I would describe it is he was Marquise Bell. He looked like Marquise Bell. And I don't mean he took off his helmet while he was on the field. And I was like, oh, man, that guy looks like Marquise Bell. Helmet on. The only thing that looked different from the Marquis Bell I was most familiar with is that he was in cowboy colors instead of fam used colors. That was the only thing that was really different for me. And what I mean by that is he flew around the field and he made tackles. This is going to sound like hyperbole. It's going to sound like I'm gassing. It's going to sound like I'm exaggerating the situation. Or maybe even being dramatic or maybe even just showing favoritism. But I'm not. I wasn't. I was at I was going to work, so I had to go to work in the middle of the Cowboy game. I was at work during the Cowboy game, but I live in North Texas, work at the radio station. The Cowboy game was on. When I was looking, every time I would look up, or most of the times when I would look up, I continued to see 41, which is Marquise Bell's number. It felt like every time I would look up, I see this guy. This is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. Want proof that it's not? He had 10 tackles on the season, on the, on the game, excuse me. 10 tackles in preseason week one. That's not an exaggeration that somebody who's not watching the game and continue to look up, he will frequently see 41. He was always around the, the ball. Now, that sounds like five in orange and green, don't it? 
does to me. That's the reason I liked him as a player. And he showcased his specialty. He showcased what he does well. That's playing downhill. That's run support. That's what he excelled at in his final season at FAMU. That's probably why the Cowboys picked him up. And I like when people showcase their specialty for my team, right? Speaking of Saints for him, like I like when somebody shows their specialty because now I trust them to be able to replicate that. Now, of course, coaches have seen practice and everything, so they know exactly who these players are. But for me, I like seeing somebody come in and showcase exactly what I thought they were going to be. That confirms exactly what I thought. I can use you as a downhill stopper. I can do that. I can trust you to be able to do that again. Will it be to the tune of 10 tackles? Maybe once or twice. Definitely not every game. Maybe not at all. But I don't need 10 tackles out of Marquise Bell. If the Cowboys are getting 10 tackles out of Marquise Bell, something either very right or very wrong. <laughs> I don't know. It, it really depends. But they don't need that. Let's just say it's a bonus. You don't need 10 tackles out of him. But you'll take it every time. And if he's showing he can do this in the preseason, you're really probably looking for three, maybe four tackles out of him. A game, like I think an average of that is pretty solid. And I think that's translatable because I've seen him do it in college. I've seen him do it in this preseason game. I'm going to assume that he can then do it on another lesser degree in actual regular season action. And why this is fascinating is because the Cowboys play a three safety system. Boom. You already have one chance more than you typically do. Most teams play a three safety system. Or excuse me, a three corner system. The Cowboys play a three safety system. So I like him playing close to the line, but in practice, he's played every single position. He's played all around and the Cowboys just had an injury to one of their safeties. Now, Wilson, they actually had an a injury to a safety and a slot guy who, who, who will play safety occasionally, right? But both of those guys are injured. So what that means is that Marquise Bell is in line, could be in line. He has competition from some other players, but he could be in line to now have that job, to now play that position starting. It could be a couple of weeks, right? So Donovan Wilson was hurt two weeks ago. He was on a four to six week timetable. Some think he might be back for the regular season. Some he might not be back for the regular season opener. If he's not, now you have to have the conversation. Is it Marquise Bell that you put in? Is it Wanya Thomas that you put in? Who is it that you insert into the starting lineup? Marquise Bell having 10 tackles probably pushes him a long way. However, Thomas having an interception, the only interception of the day by Trevor Lawrence, also puts him in that conversation. This is a very competitive battle. However, Marquise Bell and his 10 tackles went a long way in case that Donovan Wilson does not play in week one, maybe week two. Let's just say he's still rehabbing his injury. Maybe you see Marquise Bell. Maybe you see him start a game. He played in five last year. We'll see how many he can play in this year. And he only recorded a tackle. Maybe he gets two. Season high. <laughs> but I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day every day. Let's make this a season high. Share it with a friend who shares it with a friend who shares it with his mom and his dad. Let's go ahead and do that for me. I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day every day on tomorrow's episode. It's a new era at Mississippi Valley State. And I'm not just speaking on the fact that they have a new 
head football coach. But we'll break that down on tomorrow's episode. Until next time, we hear each other, family. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace.